This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, welcome to The Late Late Show with me, your host, Emily Edwards. Today, we're going to be talking about history and other subjects and why our students should be enthusiastic about uh, our subjects in our lessons. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. As I said, my name is Emily Edwards and if this is your first time with me, which hopefully should be everybody as this is my first show, uh, I'm currently teaching secondary history as a full-time classroom teacher. I started my NQT year back when it was called an NQT year uh, in 2017 and I have an MPQML as well as experiences in middle leadership both in temporary positions as pastoral deputy head of sixth form and a curriculum lead for history albeit not at the same time. Uh, I also have experience in teaching key stage three to five for history so all the way up from year seven to year 13 and as well I've taught some key stage five or some A-level politics as well. So, with the introductions having been made, and thankfully um, the chat at home is letting me know that they can still hear me loud and clear, which is fantastic, Um, tonight we're going to jump straight into it and talk about the big question uh, that happens in teaching pretty much every single day. Why should students study my subject? Now, sometimes this question can come from the students themselves. Sometimes it can come from uh, outside influences, such as parents or other family members. And sometimes it feels like it can come down to us as teachers as well, if we're feeling uh, a bit dejected. So I've obviously picked history in my title um, due to my only uh, kind of specialism, really, with um, history itself. But tonight we're going to cover lots of different subjects and look at the different uh, stereotypes that are kind of underpinning lots of different subjects. And I'll read out some that have been um, entered in via Twitter or X as it's now called. Um, and also start to look at how we might overcome some of these stereotypes in the classroom. As whilst it's all well and good to know that they're there, it's not very useful if we aren't obviously able to uh, counter them either with our own teaching or with some external resources. So ultimately, I'd like to end with a kind of overview for lots of different subjects that we can take uh, into our classrooms as to why students should care care as much as we do, care as much as they should, care as much as uh, would benefit them, obviously, going forward, having the fullest education possible. So let's jump on into it. What are the different stereotypes that we face with different subjects? Well, we have, obviously, um, our own personal uh, experiences with different subjects. I have mine that I'll share with you in a bit. Um, But we also have, as well, people who um, 
responded to the teacher's talk uh, kind of prompt on X or Twitter um, to talk about obviously what they've experienced. So we've got uh, lots of RE teachers uh, contacting us, which is great, which uh, great to see the contact, but uh, probably not so great if you're an RE teacher. But you may have heard the idea that uh, RE is made to make children religious or that it's only about opinions. There's no real uh, kind of answers to it. So it's a bit of a wishy-washy subject. Um, French teachers, MFL teachers have been talking about how it's very difficult as the stereotype goes or that it makes no sense or that it's only there for the kind of school holidays. Um, science teachers from biology to physics. Um, I know the stereotype when I was at school was that physics was the most difficult subject. And therefore, if you wanted an easy science, you'd go for biology. Obviously, speaking to biology A-level students when I was in school, definitely not the case. But that is the stereotype that's out there, unfortunately. Um, looking at English, uh, there are stereotypes that it's a very female-centric subject and that they just kind of write books and stories, and that's why it's more for girls, whereas subjects like maths have the stereotype of being kind of an all-boys club and that it's better for lads because it's all about facts and figures and um, doesn't really have anything to do with um, kind of a more creative individual. Lots of stereotypes there, unfortunately. Uh, I know, obviously, with history and geography, um, there's always the uh, kind of jokey stereotypes that we share with each other about geography is just about colouring in and history is just about uh, kings, queens and lots of pub quiz facts, but not actually much use uh, in a present day context. So seeing lots and lots of these different um, stereotypes and this idea that these subjects can carry with them a lot of baggage before they've even started. So potentially even in year seven, students are coming into the classroom thinking that um, you know, food tech is only if you want to do a bit of cooking, not actually teaching students uh, lifelong skills. So ultimately, obviously, if you do have your own experiences and your own uh, stereotypes into the chat, please do add them there so we can share those as we go. Um, but ultimately, these are the stereotypes that we all know and are always coming into the classrooms with us. So why do students have these stereotypes? Where are they coming from um, as an idea? So first and foremost, uh, I think usually the smallest amount of cases actually come from personal experience with the subject. Uh, a lot of students that I speak to um, ultimately have this kind of preconceived notion based on experience. But what I've noticed more so in kind of the majority of cases, and this may be a bit kind of anecdotal rather than um, kind of more scientific, but the majority of cases, students come with uh, these stereotypes into lesson, having taken them from outside sources. So it could be looking at kind of family and friends, um, having kind of shared these ideas of what they believe their subject was. I know parents in particular, usually good meaning. Um, share these ideas of what these subjects are, particularly when students are picking their options to try and help and guide their uh, children. But unfortunately, obviously, then we deal with the reality of that subject and challenging those stereotypes um, coming in from home. It could also be um, kind of on a wider scale. I know society has many um, comments about teaching, shall we say, and not a lot of them obviously are rooted in real world experience uh, within the classroom. And so I think 
for a lot of cases, we're noticing that um, students are bringing these external ideas in and we have to spend time unpicking them, uh, addressing them. And obviously that takes time away from just showing how much our subject is worth by being great practitioners. And so I believe obviously this issue, whilst I framed it in kind of a history perspective, because I have had this question <laughs> thrown at me, especially around GCSE, as to why should my son or daughter learn history? Why should they take it at GCSE? Why should they continue with it uh, past key stage three, even into key stage five? It becomes such a concerning issue, I think, for any subject, because it's so much harder for us to give students the knowledge and the skills from our subject if we are constantly fighting this conscious or kind of subconscious uh, resistance from students based on these stereotypes. So, where do we go from here? How do we challenge these stereotypes so that we can more effectively kind of deliver our subject? And hopefully, how can we use our passion and our, and our enthusiasm in the classroom to better deliver our subjects and hopefully inspire more students to genuinely enjoy the subject as much as we do? So I'm going to go through a couple of ideas, a couple of methods um, that I've tried and practice in my own classroom that seem to have been um, really useful. But obviously, if you have any other um, great ideas, please do put them in the chat. I'd love to read them out and share those with um, other listeners as well. So first and foremost, my first method is probably the most obvious. <laughs> it's going to be showing genuine enthusiasm. It's kind of the, the core of my kind of about for this show. And that's because I believe it is the most effective way um, to challenge stereotypes in our subjects. Uh, I believe very clearly that students can see authenticity from a mile away. If you try and fake uh, an interest in something, students will see that as disingenuous, switch off and stop caring. Based on our genuine enthusiasm, though, which hopefully for us as teachers should be nice and easy to foster, because obviously we are people who have chosen these subjects um, on kind of a more academic level and also to teach the next generation. And so it should be really easy for us without adding extra workload or money commitments or time commitments or effort commitments to inspire students by going back to basics and just showing how much we love the subject. Now, for me, I'm going to start off with uh, kind of history as my basis here, but I think it's really important to remind ourselves and have that reflection, not just on our teaching and pedagogical practice, but also as well with our subject. Why are we doing this? Why have we picked this subject? It's not been at random. We've made that conscious choice. Um, and so when I reflected uh, before making the show, kind of putting together a general script, I was thinking, well, fundamentally, why do I like teaching history? And first and foremost, I'm naturally quite curious. Um, I like knowing the answers to a lot of questions and I am happy to bombard myself, people around me, Google, with as many different questions that I have in order to better understand that world around me. And so I feel with history, phrasing it away from learning, uh, kind of rote learning in that clear sense of facts and dates and names and feeding it more into, well, what questions do you have about the past? And I found that directly feeds into an innate curiosity of mine of using what we have and what we know to kind of build this deeper understanding of the past is such a fascinating way of looking at history. It's a subject where questions can be continually raised and answered. It's never a full stop. It's always kind of ellipses or a comma. You can keep the conversation going. 
Also, when thinking about history, it's about people. So I know I've said it's not about kings and queens, but it's about the stories behind them. So rather than telling students, right, we are going to learn this sheet of 20 facts, and that is going to be the core knowledge that you're going to need to be able to do well on this assessment. I think if we take away that pressure on ourselves and on our students and focus instead on the stories, I think we can really build a natural interest because who doesn't love a good story, frankly? So without stories, we lose this sense of who we are, where we've come from and what we hope to achieve next. And so, yes, I could talk about Henry VIII taking the throne and having six wives in order to have a male heir and framing it all in terms of key dates and key um, features in Henry VIII's life. Or I could have a look at it in terms of reframing it into a story. If I tell my year seven students, and I have, and it's been fun watching their faces as I do, that we're going to look at the story of a powerful man who was desperate to cement his legacy and so made difficult and often controversial choices regarding his faith, his personal life and his country's future, that is a far more interesting and gripping way to get those students on board rather than kind of just the core knowledge. The core knowledge can be attached afterwards. And in fact, um, especially with my GCSE students, I found that they find it much easier to attach those core facts once they've got the story, because they've in essence developed a, a natural chronology um, without having to overthink it and focus on dates. They know what happens. And so in a pinch, they can decide that, right, this event comes before that event because this is how the story goes. And so whilst this obviously has a very practical approach, it also has um, a really lovely approach for us to add in that hinterland without it feeling added on or bolted or here's just an extra thing for students to learn. It's better for us to be able to explain our subject in a bit more depth while still ke uh, keeping that accessibility that we're all looking for. So. Speaking of the stories, I've noticed, and I imagine many history teachers listening uh, will know that there are cycles and patterns, and this isn't just going to be uh, a feature of uh, history. We'll also have um, features within English, for example, or within art, or within music. Uh, I think music would make an uh, a special good connection here. It's the closest thing we see um, to kind of clairvoyance when we see these patterns repeating and these cycles repeating. And I know in history, there is this double edged approach. You can have the history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes approach. And I find that it's equally as true as those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it approach. And I like that idea that by understanding the past, we better understand the future. Because not only does this help us individually when we're making uh, choices and looking at what's worked and what hasn't worked in the past, usually works uh, really well, but it also helps us as kind of a wider society make better choices because we can see the outcomes from the past and it prevents history from being seen in this vacuum because we've linked it past to present. It's no longer just um, kind of a list of facts, as we've talked about, it is building in that knowledge to better then understand the present. It's very much um, something that I feel is uh, kind of a critique of history, that it's all about the past and that it's very much uh, rooted in what's already happened. But actually, I think history is something that constantly evolves. And so as a result, 
we can see those patterns and it makes the subject for me just so more fascinating linking it and finding um, new ways either positive or negative when we see sometimes bad historical decisions being repeated or positively when we're seeing change happen that's positive for our communities for our individual self for our world and I think that is something very interesting and authentic that history is something that is constant being added to and even revisited so when we're looking at the past we can make our own judgments and interpretations in order to better understand the choices being made. And I think lastly, that kind of feeds into my last kind of reflective point on this, that actually, I just enjoy seeing what people do. I'm quite maybe nosy in that respect, but this idea that we get to look back in time and see the choices made by people and how that's impacted different communities, how that has impacted um, individuals, how that has impacted potentially countries or international um, communities. And I think especially as I've taught um, medicine and public health through time to different kind of similar units at GCSE, and also as well looking at some of the kings and queens with um, Stuart England at A-level, it's fascinating to see why things change and indeed in some cases why things don't change. And not only is that useful for helping students develop this sense of historical empathy, something that we can really uh, build in our students to not only just look at the past, but be sympathetic to the people who made those choices that not necessarily everyone can make the right choice and what makes the better choices and how students themselves can be a bit more forgiving when they make a mistake. Um, but also as well, being um, very aware that they can make those right choices. Being on the right side of history, I found, isn't something that happens naturally. It is something that builds over time as this series of choices based on critical thinking and putting facts together leads to this overall judgment. And that judgment can change. And obviously, when we look at different historical figures, we can look back at the positive choices they've made, at the negative choices they've made, and why, obviously, as individuals, it's important for us to not just um, try and figure out the right side, but also make sure that we are being active in our choices. So looking at history as more of a future thinking uh, subject rather than just a study of the past. So what is my second method then? So other than being reflective and showing that genuine enthusiasm, how else can we embed this love of our subjects um, within our classroom? And I think with my second method, again, this isn't anything groundbreakingly um, unusual. It's knowing our students, something that we've been taught to do as early as kind of our NQT or now ECT year, straight from training, realizing that knowing our students is invaluable. And it's probably why that's a piece of advice that we'll find in pretty much all educational guides or books. Because by knowing our students, we can best support them in lessons, whether that's from a more kind of pastoral or holistic approach with SEN, mental health, figuring out just what works generally for our students in the room. But also we can use that knowledge to better understand what barriers students have just towards our subject. Knowing that students, for example, prefer certain subjects over another allows us to figure out why. And when we have the why, we can then engage students um, authentically on that level. So for example, 
when we add in um, kind of the hinterland, we can frame it in a lot of different ways. So for English, for example, they can promote similar novels or texts based on what students have really engaged with and really um, kind of gotten their teeth into. And that can be a kind of a basic level or it can be um, kind of more complicated. But maths and science as well can link what's happening with the maths they're looking at in the lesson to more national events. If you're saying, well, algebra has no kind of basis in the what students need going forward. Well, has there been an example just in the news of maths being a key aspect towards new technological developments? Have we looked at how science, especially with all the discoveries we're seeing with space, trying to get obviously to Mars is our next big mission. Can you as a science teacher link not necessarily what you're doing in that moment, but link the news back to what they're looking at. It might be that, hey, you remember three weeks ago when we looked at uh, vacuums and gases and how obviously we go from a gas to liquid to solid. Well, in space, what they're looking at now is X, Y, Z. And I think that's an interesting way to naturally embed uh, more opportunities, more hooks for students in a sense to then um, get them attached to the subject in ways they may not necessarily have expected. Geographers have a great deal of natural resources in terms of the real world, but also as well, um, just images in a sense. If you can find, obviously, David Attenborough has a fantastic series, which will be no surprise to any geographers. But if you find um, podcasts that you're listening to that you find really interesting and that's potentially linked to what you are doing, what you will be doing, potentially something you like and you want to share, having that as um, kind of part of your histography or um, I suppose for geography, your geography wider reading in a sense, or even just having geography clubs um, or any subject club really can help students to engage with your subject in a different way based on what they already enjoy. Now, history, I know, is absolutely brilliant in terms of fun facts, gory stories and linking to what other civilizations are doing at the same time as you're studying as another subject. Um, but obviously, this isn't something that just focuses on history. Hopefully, that might get your brain um, kind of thinking about ways that you could then have a look at your own subject that obviously goes beyond uh, what I've been talking about here. Now, I do have to add in a bit of an addendum. Obviously, this doesn't mean we have to try and personalize our subject in 30 different ways. That's obviously not going to happen. That's just way too um, awkward and difficult and has a high chance of failure. So, we don't have to um, kind of differentiate on such a huge level, but finding opportunities, maybe once in the half term, it might be once every lesson, it might be extracurriculars, it might even be just our casual conversations with students as they're waiting to enter the classroom or as they're on their way out of the classroom. Or if you notice, um, say, I don't know if anybody might be wearing, um, say, like a NASA badge or a Kind of any pins or anything like that to their bags that link to some uh, part of your subject. Building up a natural conversation is a really easy way to embed that love of learning without it feeling forced or that we have to cut um, curriculum content in order to be able to do so. We shouldn't always as well uh, be apologizing for doing the perceived kind of boring fundamentals. I know in history, if I tell students, right, we're going to practice a P paragraph, let's get started. Um, point evidence explanation, by the way, before I get cut off, um, then obviously this is something that is 
uh, a core part of knowing our subject and being able to express themselves in our subject. And we shouldn't apologize for that. We shouldn't have to say, I know this isn't going to be a very fun lesson, or I know this is going to be a bit dry, but bear with me. I think we should be finding the excitement um, either with the incorporation of the hinterland as an idea, or even just kind of putting the fun back into fundamentals and really showing our enthusiasm for it. However, we want to express that as a way to really engage students based on our knowledge of them and how they're already engaging with our subject. Um, and my final kind of method uh, as a key aspect here is not just focusing on options to show how great your subject is. And by that, um, I'm meaning options as GCSE or A-level options. So with everything else that we have to do in lessons, I know more than anybody else, and I think along with lots of the uh, listeners and when this is played back, I'm sure you'll hear as well, it's not easy to fit in yet another responsibility. It's not easy to add another job to our to-do list. Um, so it is understandable that we save our bragging about our subject and how great it is um, for when options roll around. So why should students take our subject at GCSE or A-level? And that's usually when it's the focus rather than um, kind of an added opportunity. So how do we naturally um, fit ways to talk about our subject without it cutting into our lesson time, without it adding an extra job to our list and without waiting till years uh, eight, nine or uh, year 11? My first one is a little bit of a controversial suggestion. It's displays. So. I believe that displays can offer staff a really easy opportunity to promote their subject without spending a second of lesson time on it. Um, I know obviously these can involve a lot of extra workload, so this is kind of an optional idea. I will have some more without um, kind of that added workload, but even if a full display is not fully kind of encouraged by SLT or even something you really want to do, you can find lots of posters already made online um, by people who are um, more engaged with that kind of uh, creative element to act as prompts uh, for your classroom. So you can talk about why students should be interested without feeling the need to repeat lots of the same points throughout the year. So for example, I had uh, an inherited poster of Henry VIII, uh, probably a very uh, apt inheritance, um, but had this giant uh, kind of A2 poster. And whilst initially I thought oh, it's just a bit of decoration, I'll add it to the front. It's actually been a really useful prompt for me to add in those extra stories or to show why students um, should care about this subject in um, kind of a natural and really easy way, to be honest. So, for example, um, I've had students when we're talking about the Tudors to reinforce the idea of which Henry we're talking about when you're going through your Henry the Seventh to your Henry the Eighth, pointing at the picture and remembering students that uh, this is. Uh, about obviously six wives, here are the key facts again, here's the story again on a brief note. And this is who we also talk about at GCSE briefly when we talk about his daughter, uh, Elizabeth. Um, or actually when we talk about the Stuarts at A-level, actually we're carrying on, that's the next royal family after the Tudors. And so it's a nice, easy way to kind of plug your subject um, as well as adding in some extra stories Usually a good gory story is a handy kind of addition there. But again, posters that can be either just purely informative or prompts, both are great ways to engage. 
if you have the time and you have the interest in making a full display, would highly recommend as students can engage with that um, at any point throughout the lesson, usually um, when they're kind of entering or leaving, hopefully not whilst obviously you're trying to explain something difficult. In terms of what else we can do as well, where can I find out more is a great question to kind of pose to students. Um, and in terms of obviously displays, uh, that can be kind of the theme around it, but it could also just be uh, in terms of uh, kind of natural conversations. If you're talking, for example, in history, as we have done uh, about uh, kind of World War II, we've been looking at different recommendations for films like Saving Private Ryan, a student um, naturally then, oh, have you seen Miss uh, Nolan's Dunkirk? And that's obviously led to really interesting and positive discussions then about what's good about those films, what the problems are potentially with some historical films. Um, I had a very quick chat with a, an A-level student talking about the historical inaccuracies with Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter. Again, two very different types of films there between Dunkirk and Abraham Lincoln there, but... Um, not only does that improve your working relationship with students um, and kind of builds that sense of kind of mutually um, assured humanity there a bit, but it's also reaffirming to hear students engaging with history and reminding them that that's what they're doing when they're seeing these films. They're seeing the history um, or watching the history at home or reading about the history outside of the timetable. And again, that can be very useful, especially for MFL teachers, lots of opportunities with subtitles or even better, some amazing, obviously, foreign language films out there. Um, I know obviously Parasite is a really easy one to talk about with Oscar nominations and wins and things like that um, as a way to show students the applicability of your subject, as well as how this subject can be transformed in many different ways, rather than just what you're doing in the classroom. I am also this year going a little bit further forward in my um, love of the subject by creating a bit of a mini library. I'm mostly as an idea to kind of add as a stretch task for some really able students if they finish the work quickly. We have uh, kind of a natural reading point for them where they can kind of build on their knowledge without it um, impacting other students. But also it'd be lovely, I thought, for students to have the opportunity to see history as more than just the topics that we study in that moment. Um, so, for example, uh, I'm going to have a copy of Halle Rubenhold's uh, The Five to promote this sense of wider reading, but not just because it's a fantastic um, kind of book, in my opinion, but um, also as a way to promote, uh, obviously, history on a wider scale. So we don't teach Jack the Ripper, but they can read that book. If they have obviously books of their own that they want to bring in, there is obviously no promotion on my end of certain texts they have to read or not have to read. There are so many wonderful texts out there for students. They can not only um, see different topics that might engage them um, outside the topic we're currently studying, but also to challenge the stereotypes within the subject. I know with history, for example, the idea of it being pale, male and stale. And I think um, a few subjects, unfortunately, gain that stereotype, uh, whether they want to or not. And I think that can be really fascinating to see students have that light bulb moment and see that actually um, this subject isn't what I perceived it to be. There are female historians. There are historians of colour. Um, David Olasoga, for example, is a fantastic historian. He's written, obviously, uh, lots of texts for students, uh, kind of a reading age of Black and British, uh, but also obviously TV shows and things like that. 
But ultimately, um, lots of different options for students to be able to engage with. And there's no right answer. There is no one book that I would tell students or listeners to go out and get for your students. It's all about them finding what they like, what they enjoy, and creating, again, that natural engagement with the subject without us having to spend lots of lesson time going over the stereotypes and why they're wrong and potentially having that fall on deaf ears. It's also another great way for me to empty out some of my bookcase without um, overwhelming uh, my car. So very much would recommend trying to add in mini libraries or I know it's a bit harder with DVDs or films, but potentially on um, various uh, school sites, potentially use uh, school social media in order to promote different uh, extracurriculars or extra uh, wider reading, should we say, for students, whether that is reading or whether that is uh, a Netflix show or film. So one thing I would recommend that every different teacher, um, regardless of subject, can do to find out different stereotypes and kind of promote your subject in a more kind of nuanced way is actually through the use of student voice surveys. Now, I found these incredibly useful this year in my teaching. Um, I set them up as a very easy format, um, took me about 10, 15 minutes. And the data I got back by using um, obviously students naturally kind of engaging with this quiz as they have done for different homeworks, but uh, this time looking at the different subjects was really uh, informative in understanding what students were thinking, what stereotypes they had, whether any stereotypes had been overcome, and if so, how. And also, as well, just the why um, was very enlightening for many different questions. So, for example, I did a year eight uh, student voice survey around May or June time, and it was so interesting to see, for example, the impact of high quality teaching and how that helps students feel more confident with the subject and therefore led to this positive feedback loop as students who um, felt that they connected with a member of staff's teaching and really liked how they were being taught led to ultimately them feeling more confident with the subject because they understood more, whether that was simple facts or the wider picture, didn't matter based on the data. And then as a result, they were then doing better in assessments and then they had that positive uh, reinforcement and so on and so forth. So ultimately, this isn't to say that every student will love your subject if you're an amazing teacher. I mean, hopefully they will. Um, but there will always be students who kind of gravitate to and away from your subject just as a natural interest. I know we have that with options, students naturally picking different um, subjects obviously based on what they're interested in but it's surprising to see how sometimes the basics of what we're doing have such an amazing impact and ultimately how we're able to challenge these stereotypes not even just in a very conscious way but in the same way that students may have a subconscious bias um, against our subject we can actually have sometimes a subconscious uh, effect on influencing students to really enjoy our subject based on our day-to-day -day. and so it's really important I think as I kind of wrap up those three different kind of key methods as to ultimately understanding it is our day-to-day -day that is going to be the key here it is not going to be these flashy powerpoint presentations or spending 
you know, 10 minutes at a options evening, really enthusiastically talking about the benefits of our subject. It's going to be our day-to-day teaching, our understanding of our students, listening to their feedback and understanding there where we can tweak our practice and being reflective. And ultimately with that reflection, never losing that sense of why we chose this subject. Why do we love it so much? How can I naturally embed some of that into my day-to-day teaching experience? It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson edXL's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson edXL MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. The Evening Standard reports that the education expert who oversaw a 90% fall in school exclusions in Glasgow has been tasked with driving down exclusions in London. Maureen McKenna is a former Director of Education at Glasgow City Council and has been hired as a consultant by London's Violence Reduction Unit, the VRU, with the goal of boosting inclusive education. According to the paper, McKenna's work saw fixed-term exclusions drop by 90% over 14 years, which also coincided with a 50% reduction in violence. Driving down exclusions is seen as important by many, and whilst less than 1 in 200 children in the UK are permanently excluded, The VIU says that almost one in two of the country's prison population were excluded as children. Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, said he welcomed Miss McKenna's appointment and McKenna herself said she was delighted to be part of the project. However, critics of the zero exclusion philosophy pointed out that schools only use suspension and exclusions in response to serious breaches of behaviour and discipline and that this new approach could make schools less safe for all. Schools Week reported on a new study which asked parents about the impact the pandemic had on children's social and emotional skills. The study by IFS and UCL's Institute of Education also noted that reception age pupils were amongst the worst affected. The experts concluded that there was no evidence that youngsters from disadvantaged families fared worse than their non-disadvantaged peers. However, they did stress that economic instability did have an impact on well-being. Children whose families' pre-COVID employment situation changed during or shortly after the pandemic were far more likely to be negatively impacted, even if parents didn't suffer any significant loss of earnings. Jeff Barton, General Secretary of School Leaders Union, ASCO, said the research underlined the need for extra funding for children's services. He went on to say that, combined with other factors such as the cost of living crisis, COVID has taken a real toll on pupils' health and well-being. Barton made it clear that schools are doing everything they can to support pupils with both academic and emotional development. 
but are doing so in the face of budget challenges and lack of investment from the government in both education and children's services. The Guardian features comments from Russell Group that elite universities will turn away increasing numbers of UK students over the next few years in favour of more lucrative international applicants. Tuition fees for home students have been frozen at £9,250 a year since 2017, but experts calculate that as a result of rising inflation, the real value has dropped to £6,000. This is significantly less than it costs to teach the average student. With the number of 18-year-olds in the UK continuing to rise, leading universities say they won't be able to meet demands for British sixth formers without government support or they will have to raise tuition fees. The Russell Group has estimated that universities will be losing an average £4,000 per year for every UK undergraduate they teach by next September. Universities have said the decline in the value of fees means they cannot meet staff demands on pay, despite facing five years of industrial action, including marking boycotts, which means some students will graduate without a grade this summer. Finally, a study by Myriad suggests that mindfulness in schools doesn't improve young people's mental health. The My Resilience in Adolescence, or Myriad project, investigated the effectiveness of a brief school-based mindfulness intervention in supporting the mental health of young people in secondary school pupils aged 11 to 16. The project spanned over eight years and involved more than 28,000 students, 650 teachers and 100 schools. Mindfulness in Schools project was taught by teachers to their students after completing the programme themselves. Although inconsistent practice was one reason mindfulness didn't work, there were other factors to consider, particularly looking at factors which contribute to poor mental health such as inequality and deprivation. The research also suggests that the treatment of mental health problems is best left to experienced and qualified mental health professionals, not teachers and schools. Full details of the study and its findings can be found by visiting the welcome.org website. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. Hello and welcome back. So going then into our final kind of large section of the show. Ultimately, I posed a question at the start of our kind of session tonight and it was why study history? So arriving back at that original question, I want to take a part of the show to share the different reasons that teachers um, have given both online and uh, when I spoke to some of my colleagues um, as to why they should uh, study these different subjects and make sure that students then can be a part of kind of challenging the stereotypes uh, within the lesson through our own enthusiasm. So first things first, why study history? Um, as a historian, I can't think of a better subject to look at both the past, the present and the future simultaneously and how our understanding of the past shapes our future as we make the choices in the present. And I think as a subject that can incorporate both the kind of more written elements, the longer essays and the judgments that allow us to really show off our reasoning and our critical thinking and allow us to explain our understanding of the world, as well as um, the kind of key facts and figures, which makes us uh, much more understanding of the world around us rather than 
taking everything at face value. And so for me as a historian, I always recommend students study history and enjoy history as much as possible, because as we look at the world around us, we are going to be seeing the stories of people and how we can use those past stories to shape our current stories. So having looked at history, why then should I study other subjects like maths, English, chemistry, French and so on? So starting with English, a staff member online said that if you can take a text and find the themes, plus connect it with other texts, theories and historical events, you are showing that you can handle complex ideas, search for patterns and interpret information in a wider context. So English is a way to kind of connect different ideas, different theories through literature or through language and interpret uh, information on a wider context so rather than just what they have in front of them, which I think is such an interesting idea. Uh, for maths, the study of mathematics makes you better at solving problems. It gives you skills that you can use across other subjects and apply to many areas in your life in and out of school. And I think that's something that I know as a historian, I've been guilty of in the past, thinking that there are no real connections with some subjects like maths. And that's simply not true. When we're talking, obviously, about code breaking, when we're talking about um, the wars or generally really any war where you're trying to get spies involved, that is where you can talk about uh, that connection with maths. And that's such a natural connection that you don't think about. And again, it makes maths uh, a more interesting subject than just lots of sums or complex equations that students feel they won't need, because actually maths can be so applicable, um, often in ways that probably we don't expect. Uh, for science, and I have bundled science all together, so my apologies for the scientists, uh, the biologists, the chemists and the physicists, but this was just uh, an idea that was shared online that I wanted to obviously share with you. So science helps our understanding of the world around us. Everything we know about the universe from how trees reproduce to what an atom is made of is a result of scientific research and experimentation. And I think that's a really interesting uh, kind of common thread throughout the different sciences. Rather than looking at what's difficult and what's easy, actually, all of them focus on figuring out the world on a very uh, complex level and that it's actually through kind of experimentation. Will this uh, idea actually work out in practice? Let's give it a go. And I think whenever you do talk to students and sometimes to staff, when you uh, talk about different subjects like biology, chemistry and physics, the experiments are what really grasp our imagination because it's fascinating seeing how those ideas are proven um, in a very uh, kind of clear-cut way, sometimes obviously with a bit of a bang, uh, which always helps, I think, when it comes to uh, engagement. For modern foreign languages, uh, the study of foreign languages teaches and encourages respect for other peoples. It fosters an understanding of the link between language and human nature. Foreign language expands one's view of the world, making people more flexible and tolerant. And I think that's a really lovely idea that uh, obviously subjects don't necessarily need to be just for what we can get out of it as individuals, what we can learn, but also as well how we can connect with other people. Uh, and that builds in a bit with the RE uh, example that's uh, been given by another uh, teacher that pupils' own experiences, beliefs and perceptions lie at the heart of RE. RE develops self-concept and self-esteem, explores spiritual, moral and social frameworks and encourages pupils to reflect on experiences and emotions. 
in this way, it contributes significantly to personal development. So again, this kind of mixture of subjects being for our kind of personal development and to engage with other people and see what they're thinking and what they're believing is a really uh, lovely element to subjects that can be kind of a unique selling feature, obviously, to students, but also as well, something that can remind us as teachers that we're doing something incredible. We're not just building up a student's academic prospects. We're also building up uh, their kind of identity and who they are as they figure out um, those two aspects using our subjects uh, and the knowledge and skills they gain from it. Uh, for the kind of uh, music, art and drama side of things, um, kind of all collectively mentioning how they are uh, able to develop problem solving, not only just critical thinking skills, but also as well encouraging self-expression and confidence. That obviously is something that we found obviously post-COVID has been a huge issue as students don't feel confident in taking risks within the classroom in terms of putting their hands up potentially or when they are cold called if you have the other system. Um, having students go, well, I don't know and trying to opt out. Having these subjects like music, like art, like drama that encourages risk taking uh, in a safe way and encourages students to build up their confidence um, through that sense of creativity is something really important. And I know that stereotypically these subjects have always been kind of labeled the DOS subjects or you do it just for fun. It doesn't really have any impact. But being able to build your confidence and your sense of identity through obviously the music that you like, the art that you um, enjoy to look at or enjoy to create and drama with this sense of being able to present um, a kind of character or even just your authentic self to an audience is something that's so overlooked, I think, and can be a really good way to encourage students to rethink their perceptions of these um, kind of oft neglected subjects. Then we've got obviously DT, um, the idea that DT as a whole, obviously looking at the different elements within it, um, helps pupils to think laterally and creatively to work in teams to solve their problems. Now that is obviously going to be a huge, huge benefit for students being able to cooperate with each other to compromise on certain aspects as well as um, kind of think more laterally rather than just um, taking ideas or theories that you might have in other subjects well if you are um, doing any kind of say woodwork or resistant materials or graphics well you've got to put that into practice you've got to create something that reflects those ideas rather than just keeping them in your head which again I think is a skill that is often overlooked in students um, and can be something that really engages uh, students with and not just DT, but then taking that um, ability to work well cooperatively into other subjects that makes things so much better for us um, overall. Finally, uh, I know this isn't the only subject that's left, so I do apologize to a lot of the A-level subjects like sociology and psychology. Um, obviously, if you have any um, thoughts you'd like to share on those subjects, if I've missed any there, please do put them in the chat. Please um, engage in that way. I'd love to read them out before the end of the show. We also, as our kind of final one, have computing, which usually is the um, subject that's seen as the new version of ICT or IT, depending on obviously what generation you are. I'm not going to out you and your age aren't live on air, neither am I. So 
in terms of computing, um, a colleague I spoke to said that actually computing will help you with any subject you study because they all require a degree of critical thinking. And that is something you have to develop in computing. And I was quite interested by this. I hadn't considered this at all, really, because normally with computing, it was uh, basic Internet skills, basic kind of Word and Microsoft skills. But actually, that idea of critical thinking, how do you engage with um, different ideas? How do you, for example, if you're coding, make something very clear um, to whatever machine you're using, what you want it to do, trial and error and thinking outside of the box and not just taking what you're told at face value because what might work for your code might not work for somebody else's. That actually isn't something I'd thought about uh, with computing. That was based on obviously my stereotype uh, previously of computing. So it was great actually to have that perspective um, from a teacher. And again, it's the whole point of this uh, show really is to kind of encourage that debate, not just uh, reflectively amongst ourselves, but also speaking with our colleagues and figuring out how we can collaboratively boost our subjects and promote our subjects across the board rather than just relying on certain events in the calendar or relying on certain members of staff to kind of do that heavy lifting. So to wrap up then, why bother learning at all? Well, it's more than just for fun. It is only through that understanding um, of our subjects that we can make the most informed choices to benefit the most people possible, ourselves included. So in short, I believe we should study and we should learn because every subject gives us the chance to better understand ourselves and the world around us. Every subject sees a new perspective, a new piece of information, a new approach that we may not have considered before. And frankly, wouldn't the world be a little bit better with a bit more understanding in it? It's time for a fresh start to language learning. Pearson Edexcel's new student-centred French, German and Spanish 2024 GCSEs cater to the needs of all learners, regardless of their background, ability or reason for studying. Rooted in learned language knowledge, their assessments are transparent and accessible, allowing all students to showcase their language skills. Through inclusive and relatable content, the new Pearson Edexcel MFL GCSEs build a shared cultural capital that helps students develop an understanding of and appreciation for the wider world. Find out more at go.pearson.com forward slash MFL GCSE 24. So to start wrapping up then, uh, thank you so much for tuning in this week. And thank you, Paul, for the lovely comments. I really do appreciate it. Um, I know this is my debut on Teachers Talk Radio. Hopefully, obviously, with more shows, we get to discuss lots of different topics, uh, partially before the new school year starts, but also as we jump into term one and the September chaos. Um, it'll be great to see you in a fortnight's time uh, to listen to my next show. Uh, so do keep an eye out on social medias for more details about the topic. And it will be same time, same place as always. And in the meantime, take care and I will see you next time. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time. 
on Teachers Talk Radio.